Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi, Amna. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks. So for those that are brand new to the channel, um, Amna's going to talk a little bit about consumer and, and retail behaviour, etc. Um, but I don't want to steal your thunder. Do you just want to give us a little bit of an idea about your speciality and your, your subject that you're so knowledgeable on? So my name is Dr. Amna Khan. I'm a senior lecturer in consumer behaviour and retailing. My specialist is to look at consumption behaviour, to look how consumers change, shift and evolve and what the key trends are in the market and how various organisations can respond to it. Although I speak to retail, I do speak to other sectors and industries too, um, because consumer behaviour, the trends actually do actually affect every single aspect of the consumer's life. Great. Excellent. So... Over the last recent years, how have consumer shopping behaviours changed? Well, the pandemic's been a huge catalyst for change. It has changed the way we live, work and shop and the ways that we interact. Now, we've seen lots of ways in which the consumer is changing the shopping behaviour. But if we brought it back to the estate agent market, what we can see is we've seen an evolution that had to happen overnight where we had everything locked down and estate agents had to respond similar to retailers with an offering and the offering that they were um, evolving to was a digital based offering and that was the offer of video based tours for example 360 tours in retailing it was click and collect so what were you doing for the consumer and what was that legacy that you were trying to create for your organization and what we could see is a blend of technology with physical spaces and that really is the legacy that ha has been left as a result of pandemic where consumers changed their behavior they changed the way they shopped they got used to online um facilities online shopping online behavior and it wasn't just for the millennials because we always thought internet was about millennials and gen z's you've seen a wide range of consumers the older demographic started to use the internet they needed to talk to the grandparents so zoom became the the hit thing on the list getting their deliveries sent at home was a new thing that had come for them as well and they were using that now, one of the great things that have come out of the pandemic is that businesses have looked at their business model, whether that's a retailer or an estate agent, and thought, how can we become more efficient? And the way to become more efficient is to think about how the digital aspects are going to streamline your processes and make things more efficient, time effective, cost effective, save you money, and save that new buyer, new renter, new seller money too. So the video 360s, although that at one time they might have just been to get you through the pandemic, now what they can do is give your customer a flavor of what that house looks like to save you time on viewing. <clears throat> so what you're doing is you're increasing the utilization of your time for the right type of consumer and taking pinch points out for that consumer. And this is just a journey of hybridization. And what, what I mean, bringing the online with the offline, estate agents have always been a very physical sort of um, interaction with the consumer you know you're going to a house you're coming into the offices you're talking on the phone but there's many ways that you can create efficiencies through using online and I think that there's a seamless way to integrate that in the consumer's journey and move it forward to the next sphere and that might be to have your own app 
which allows you to document how they're viewing their houses, their responses, their rates, ratings, or the things that they liked about houses and others. And that you can quickly start to refine the consumer's interests and personalize the service and the experience, which allows you to build a relationship with them. But in other ways that we might see um, internet or, or tech coming into the sphere of estate agents might be what I'm seeing in retailing, which is the use of augmented reality or virtual reality, and how we can have a look at, say, video how uh, video tools on houses and actually start to let the buyer think about how that house would look like if they were to put decoration in, such as wallpaper, furniture, etc. Make it theirs before they even get there, so it mm-hmm. consolidates that journey of making a decision about whether you're going to buy but if we also one of the key thing that's really changed in the pandemic is the use of the home as a focal space Mm -hmm. so overnight we started to spend all our time at home and that is a massive shift from what it used to be your house would really your pit stops you know you'd leave at 7 a.m to go to work you come home at 7 p.m and really you eat sleep and socialize on the weekends well that turned on its head in the pandemic and we've seen that consumers spend all the time in the house. Now, because the house becomes so focal to the consumer, it became part of their identity. And we started to learn about what we liked about our houses and what we didn't like about our houses and what we needed to change and alter. And that created a shift towards upsizing your house or downsizing your house, because that became a huge part of the consumer's identity, not just inside the house, though. It was about the outside of the house as well. It's does my house serve me yeah. in the uses of my office space, my gym space, my social space, which it turned into overnight. But does that community also serve me that I live with? Mm-hmm. So are they? Am, am I now with like-minded people? Do they want to be more sustainable? Is there community initiatives in my community? So we've seen this um, shift in the way that you viewed your house, which is really important because it's, We've now seen that we've gone to hybrid working models. So the house is really important yeah. because your house has become not only your personal sanctuary, it's become a public space. Too. <clears throat> now in consumption behavior, your public space, you always demonstrate it to other people, your peers see it. Your private space in your home, your peers might not see it as much. Mm. So now this house has actually become another part an extension of your identity so everybody wants their houses to look amazing too so we've seen this huge social social shift which has changed the value of the house because of what it means to the house what it means to the individual sorry and the other thing is we've seen um, an evolution where we've seen commercial properties and residential properties coexisting So we're starting to think about our towns and our cities, again, going back to what I was talking about, community-based spaces, and thinking about the multifunctional purpose of the whole area that I live in. Because nobody moves into just the house. You move into the area. You move into the community. You move into the resources, the schools, the parks, and everything else, because it's part of your social identity. I really like that answer, especially about the... um... It's, it sounds obvious, but I didn't think of it like that. When when COVID hit, we got a little bar put in, we got the deck and extended. We I spent a bit of time being a green green fingers when I've not I've not normally. And then obviously when it started to release it and you could have people around you almost, oh, I think that, that room needs painting again. Or oh, I think I'll get a new rug here or a new 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 wallpaper. And it was because you had more people coming around. I mean, you know, we entertain a, a hell of a lot more. Not, not we're not party animals. We're, we're getting on a bit. But, <laughs> yeah, 
we entertain a hell of a lot more than we used to. And you do, it's so right. You want to feel proud um, about people coming into your home. So no, I I agree. And the likes of B and Q and Wicks and all the other juicings, I bet they made absolute fortunes. Well, home improvements was a key thing. If you're going to spend more time in your house, you want it to be aesthetically pleasing. You want it yeah. to be you. You want it to be that sanctuary that's yours. And especially during COVID, when the consumers yeah. are going through a period of huge uncertainty, it makes you feel vulnerable. So you want to invest in the place that you're going to be in all the time. And we've seen that, you know, I witnessed it myself, just, just anecdotally, people getting out all of the things that they want to put into charity, lots of delays and queues on B&Q mm. in a sense of like click and collect, everybody going in and painting this and doing this. So you could see a lot of consumers investing in that space. And like yourself, you know, you started to think about like greenery and sustainability. I'm into fitness. I, I made my garden into a gym. Like you wouldn't mm. have thought that. Do you see what I mean? The gym's yeah. actually around the corner from my house, but I had yeah. no option. So your living space actually changed to adopt to your lifestyle. And that's really important because we did everything outside of the house related to lifestyles or, or not everything, but quite a lot of stuff outside the house. But we brought up that all inside the house. So it became yeah. more important. No, it's really interesting because I did the same with my garage. But it was just a storeroom. And then, you know, it started getting a bit of weight and then got a, one of the little um, uh, rogue bikes for, for CrossFit and then got a, uh, a row and just, it, I don't go to my gym now, I just go in the garage. It's, you know, <laughs> two minutes out of bed into the garage, it saved us a fortune, although yeah. spent a fortune kitting it out. Um, what else is really interesting as well, and, and there's a lot of real estate people watch YouTube and listen to the podcast, and I definitely got the impression that it's it's a lot bigger than just our industry. So what happens in the retail and and it's followed in other industries as well. <clears throat> so click and collect. The, the strong had to adapt, otherwise you'd fall by the wayside. In the mm. state agency, we had to do more of the you know the the virtual tours and the three sixty tours, otherwise we would we would fall by the wayside. And something else that really resonated, and I, and I love what you said. The phrase people don't buy a house; they buy the community or they move into the community as well. Um, mm. What a lot of people that I work with, and, and I know a lot of people who, um, the independents, the reason they're successful is because they've really embedded themselves into the community. So it's mm -hmm. not just like, I'm generalizing here, a corporate where they come mm -hmm. along, spend a fortune on the um, the office and what it looks like. The independents don't have that budget, so they've got to think outside the box. So they'll sponsor mm -hmm. charity events, they'll sponsor the local kids' footy team or the girls' swimming team or, or whatever it is. Um, so it's that that real community feel that homeowners want to feel a part of. Yeah, and that happens a lot in retail as well, mm. where the smaller um, shops or the local shops know more about the environment. They know the people personally. Yeah. They know what they're looking for. They know why, what sort of needs that community has. And the same with, with the, you know, an estate agent, you understand that demographic that audience yeah. and that market better than anybody else because you live and breathe it. And yeah. that's a huge asset that you have over any large organization that sets up a chain because that personal know-how, that touch and that relationship that you develop with the consumer is, you know, it's invaluable. Mm. Um, how was the public narrative around conscious consumption, i.e. pre-loved and um, yeah. rentals, changed? So there's been a huge shift in consumer behavior regarding rental consumption and pre-loved now if i was to look at my retail knowledge what we're seeing is consumers have changed their value set during the pandemic they started to reflect and reconsider what was important to them and sustainability was one of the key things that came out with 85 percent of consumers in a research study 
by Deloitte saying that they wanted to have more one more aspect of their life to be more sustainable, you know, such as smart living or slow living, yeah. for example. And what we're seeing is the Gen Zs and millennials um, are happy to buy up to 50% of their consumption through pre-loved. And we're seeing the new emergence of rental consumption in fashion. So what we're seeing is that access-based consumption, which is renting something and putting it back into the system, is quite acceptable because it's part of their social identity. It goes with what goes happens on the gram. You can completely create discard and recreate your identity with rental consumption i've done it myself when i speak at events i don't want to be wearing the same outfit i'll rent it for four days and i'll give it back i get my pictures taken i feel really good in it it's a new outfit tenth of the price send it back now this notion of pre-loved and repair and rental is just going to take off the cost of living crisis consumers give a lot less money so they're starting to think about their consumption more and how they can still get those great wins of feeling like you've got something new, different and interesting in your wardrobe at the same time as it not hitting your wallet in exactly the same way. And I think an important thing to think about when we think about estate agents and and rental consumption is the change in the younger generation's mindsets, the Gen Zs and the millennials in how they see home ownership. ownership. Now, we all know that the first and foremost reason for ownership of homes might be difficulties of affording things as they get priced out of the market we do know that and that there are some issues there with the younger generation struggling to get on the housing market but we also know that around 25 percent of gen z's and millennials will move homes 10 times or more because they are priced out of the home ownership but there's another shift that's also happened in their mindset and their mindsets and attitudes have changed and they believe that you know houses aren't fixed and permanent they like to live temporarily and they don't necessarily want the burden of ownership of a home straight away in the same way that you might have seen you know 25 year olds or 28 year olds jumping onto the property ladder straight away you're seeing a shift in the narrative and the way that consumers think and they're now opting for co-living rental opportunities and we're seeing increases in searches for those um co-rental opportunities i know friends of mine that have have rented a property with somebody else because they've had to do it out of need we can't afford this uh, apartment it's got two bedrooms you and i'll I'll jump in that to that rental sort of um, and co-live in there even though we don't know each other but it gives them loads of amenities that fits their lifestyle you've got a gym you've got you know different lifestyle activities that you could do the tenancies are shorter or longer they're built to rent, you know, there's the purpose of properties to rent. And another example of that might be John Lewis. You might have heard that they last year announced they were going to build 10,000 rent, rental yeah. homes because they wanted to get into that market. Now, it fits perfectly with what they offer because they offer lots of home-based products. <laughs> and if you can get into that rental market, you're starting to capitalize on that consumer very early on. So what we've seen here is we've seen that it's more acceptable to rent you know one you know back in the day it used to be aspirational i want my own home and i want to live there but you also have to remember that work and the way that we work has fundamentally changed and consumers want to be dotted around and want that flexibility of renting here i'm only staying here for two years and then my next career move's got to be there and and you know well i know that techs allowed us to hybrid work a lot but there's still consumers who want to be moving and shifting around and want to move to different um areas and you know there's built to rent sector is going to continue to grow and flourish you know that's going to happen because consumers are wanting different things so we can see 
that this shift in consumption of shared consumption, whether that be clothing, whether that be, you know, your Uber, whether that be, you know, you know, Netflix, et cetera, shared consumption, we're living more fragmented lives as consumers where we want options, but we don't want burdens. So that's why we're seeing lots of change in that space. Yeah, it's very true, actually, because the builder rent sector, we work quite closely with a couple of clients who are quite heavily invested in it. And they're, they're grown from strength to strength and they're always getting new sites. <clears throat> There's a big um, uh, a company called Granger PLC, they're listed. Um, and, you know, I know a couple of people who, who work for them and, and they're always looking, coming across sites. So they're just saying that the, the amount of investment that people are thrown into that, because like you said, mm. people are living fragmented lives now. They want to have that flexibility of saying, right, well, I'll work a couple of years in Birmingham, then I might want to work in Durham, then I'm, I'll go down to Manchester, where if you've got a home, it's the hassle. And especially with solicitors at the minute, I mean, it could be five, six months. That's if you get an offer. The conveyancing process could take you five, six months. So, no, it's uh, it's, it's very true. Um, social media, huge. It's gone absolutely massive since the pandemic. I've never been on social media as much. Maybe I need a bit of a detox, but I, mean, I run my business off social media, so I need to be on. But how how has that changed our our shopping behaviours? Social media is a really powerful agent for consumers in every single walk of life. You can see social media being used. You know, you've got Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Consumers use it to find out about products. Consumers use it to connect with influencers and consumers use it to buy products. You know, we're seeing this huge shift where the marketing messages used to come from brands. Now the marketing message comes from the consumer and they come from the customers of their brand or the influencers of those brands. And we're seeing that huge shift where there's a lot of co-creation happening with brand messaging. And that's a massive shift that's happening. And the Generation Zs and the millennials spend about 50% of their time using these very various different products. Um, they have a lot of usage on them. Now, when it comes to homes, traditionally the branding for the products would be created by the brand itself. So, for example, the wallpaper organization or, you know, mm. furniture, et cetera. We're seeing shifts in that as well. We're seeing co-creation where, you know, consumers are taking those products and, um, and using them to fit the houses in ways that they want. But it's, it plays a massive role in influencing what's on trend and what's not on trend. And that's really important for the buyer or the renter or the seller or the landlord, because you need to make your house look aesthetically perfect. It's almost like we live in a perfect world now. with yeah, social media yeah. driving all this notion of gorgeous houses, gorgeous people with lovely clothes on all the time. So there's a huge shift um, in the sense that lots of uh, various consumers and can get inspiration from these social media places. Mm but they also set the bar of what people expect to so the bar keeps raising so for example my father has a rental home and he's been really conscious about making it look aesthetically pleasing because that's the way that social media has has shaped and changed our narrative and so that you can get those consumers coming through the door liking your house because we know homes are physical spaces and you want to touch it you want to feel it but it's also a psychological place where you're trying to correct create a connection Mm. with that person because they build a lot of memories and emotions in that place so having the right setting it makes a massive difference so social media is playing a huge role in every single sort of sector whether that be retail whether that be housing whether that be inspiration Mm. or or whether that be influencers taking charge of the messaging 
Totally agree. I mean, I know it's a little bit off topic. It's not property, but um, Logan and Jake Paul, those social media influences, influences, one's just come out with this. It's it's a drink. It actually doesn't mm. even taste that nice. It's called Prime. And my son, who's 12, and all his mates are absolutely wild for it just because an influencer has got it. It's, yeah. it's sugar water. It's terrible, right? They're hyper for about 30 minutes, an hour after it. You can't control them. But because of this social media, this this blow up star is it's it his it's his own brand they're going mental for it it's just crazy how much people love it that's a huge shift that's happening at the moment john where influencers are the new brands where they have used totally. them and they have basically just taken you know you've got lots of fitness models who basically yeah. used to represent gym shark for example have set up their own side brand now and now are selling um clothing of their yes. own and it's named after them and there are many examples of that and it happens in various different industries like you just mentioned one of the brand influencers bought a drink app but what's his knowledge of drinks you see what I mean yeah. so interesting how influencers actually shaping what the younger generations want and what they've done is they've they built communities communities yes. of interest and communities of practice and once you build those communities you turn consumers into fans and once yeah. they become fanatical about your brand it doesn't matter to your son that it doesn't taste right He's going to buy it because he wants to be associated with the brand. He wants to be associated with that community because of his his emotional connection with that community. And it's really interesting how that has really shaped the way that consumers think now. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the one that, um, I mean, I hope nobody judges me, but um, alcohol, if you just look at Ryan Reynolds, he had a gin out. Conor McGregor, the famous UFC fighter, he had a whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, uh, George Clooney had the tequila. I mean, mm -hmm. these guys are... You know, 300, 400, 500, half a billion US dollars just from being part of that. So it's yeah. it's interesting that they just use their influence and their status, um, you know, collaborate with with whatever product it is, whether it's alcohol or it's, you know, clothing or, you know, Gymshark or whatever. And, and you know, it's, it's getting a lot of consumer attention. That's a new marketing model, though. John, and it's just going to grow and grow. Mm. It used to be celebrity endorsers, like you mentioned. The, the, the All of the people that you mentioned are celebrity endorsers. Mm. They are, have status or they have a talent and they have created an awareness about their brand. And influencers have now access to social media, which is free, and are doing exactly the same and getting lots of people and building an audience and then building a product or service. I've seen it with many people who just train in the gym. They've turned their training into coaching plans and then, you know, and then they go and sell those coaching plans because they, they've transformed their body and etc. And, you know, they might have a personal training qualification um, and they've just tapped into market and got consumers who want to look like them aesthetically to buy their products. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so that's all about, you know, the internet side and social media. How has the role of the high street changed in this? Is it all doom and gloom? I think the high street is really taken off in different ways. Traditionally, we always thought that the internet coming in had really affected the high street. Now, uh, during the pandemic, the high streets were closed, the shops were closed, so naturally they did suffer. But post-pandemic, we've seen consumers want to go back into the shops. And the reason for that is it's a very experiential process to go in the shop where you build connections, you touch products. If you touch a product, you're more likely to buy it because there's a sensation that happens if you go into a different atmosphere and, and environment you're more likely to be delighted in a retail environment than you are online and there's lots of things that have happened online during the pandemic such as you know we've got the fast fashion retailers who've really pushed product onto consumers we bought them but the online returns cost them a heck of a lot of money 
So they're trying to reduce that cost and get consumers to go back into store. So mm. there's lots of things. And if you've seen omni-channel retailing where consumers now think of shopping as a whole process, it's not whether I'm shopping online or whether I'm shopping in store, I'm shopping. Yeah. And I want to merge those two things together. Now, when I think about estate agents, I think traditionally the estate agent was the main source for the consumer when it came to purchasing everything from that purchasing decision, such as knowing the market, knowing the pricing, knowing um, how the fluctuations in house prices happen, etc. But the consumer is more empowered now by the Internet. You've got various different tools available to them, such as, say, for example, Rightmove, which allows yeah. you to search the property prices, what it was sold for, how much it was yeah. sold for, when it was searched. That empowering of information has changed the nature and the role of the estate agent to be more of a facilitator in the exchange process and the completion process and the negotiation process, because the consumer has a lot more information available to them. When they come to you, they already know what that house sold for. They already know, you know, how many bedrooms it had or, or for example, what was sold next door and and can really make an analysis of that environment and, and the street or the local community. Now the estate agent's role is that personalization of service mm. and reducing the uncertainty and risk involved with the actual completion process. So it's fundamentally changed on its head. And I would say it's actually made that relationship between the buyer and the estate agent on the seller and the estate agent more important because it's not just about the knowledge that the estate agent has. The estate agent now is a facilitator who can bring speed, efficiency, um, personalization, and information which is crucial about the actual sale rather than the external things so they can get that. And mm -hmm. it, I think that's a really, it, it increases the value for them of that yeah. relationship. Yeah, so long, sorry. No, no, I was going to say, so long gone are the days where you just put it as an estate agent, you put it on the portals, right moves, who play on the market and then expected people to come in. Consumers are looking for so much more from us. Yes, they want our expertise. Yes, they want our knowledge, but not just in around the property because they can find that, that information out themselves. It's the things that they can't influence, that they aren't aware of, you yeah. know, how to pick the best solicitor, how to get the best mortgage person, progressing that sales through, yeah. talking to the solicitors, any issues or problems, you know, sorting them out and then just trying to get that through as well as keeping them informed. Because yeah. a, a big, big issue that solicitors, um, sorry, that a lot of consumers have got in our experience, um, and I had when I bought my house, was I wasn't kept up to date. I wasn't kept yeah. informed. It was always me chasing them. Mm. And I get it as a consumer, it's it's your one house that you're buying, but they're selling 20 or 30, so that it's never going to be as important to them as it is to you. But still, if they set the right expectations from the beginning, like I'll phone you next week, John, or I'll phone you on Thursday, I'm the, that would have been a hell of a lot better than me having to chase them every couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's a huge issue because <clears throat> what happens for the buyer or the seller is this is their most important asset in yeah. their life that they're going to exchange. So not only has that product got high involvement, the process is uncertain for them and the risks in the process such as being gazumped, such as a buyer pulling out, all of those uncertainties can only really be managed by that estate agent and the power that you wield over the relationship because you're the negotiator yeah. and you're the, you're the person who deals with both sides of the party. And really you sharing that information and being more transparent actually brings more trust in the relationship because one of the things that estate agents have a real issue with is trust. 
yeah. the relationship between the, both the buyer and the seller and what they're offering. And there's many ways in which you can build that trust um, and communication is key. It yeah. really is key. And I think it sort of, it, it falls down to the bottom of the list sometimes when really it should be right at the top of the list because that's the thing that makes that individual feel like there's less risk here I'm less I'm, I'm not got the same amount of uncertainty that I have and I feel informed and empowered so yeah. you, you know, it's, it's changing that information for, for, for an estate agent it might be just one call for them it's that decision do you see what I mean yeah. and I believe that there's many ways that estate agents can actually make that process seamless through using tech because you know it might be difficult for you to pick the phone up because you've got another 15 viewings to do but it might be easier for you to use online platforms or apps that communicate with your um buyer or seller immediately and instantly give them messages because that will streamline the process a lot more so there's a lot of things that you can learn say for example from retailing where omnichanneling is coming where you've got the physical and the digital talking to each other yeah and i think the next stage for estate agents really is to make that happen because you can really hone and bespoke the service and make it more personalized and keep on top of communication yeah good there is there is a hell of a lot of tech that's coming into um the industry there's you know people are using whatsapp a lot more but i think it's the same with every industry you've got to pick out the good pick out the bad what's the necessary the nice to have and then the must have but mm. anything around communication for me is a, is an absolute must whether it's an online portal where all the documents are stored and people can communicate and talk so it's all there you know i'm gonna go through 15 20 30 emails and mm. you know you can see it's something as simple as you can see when something's been read or something's been updated and you get a notification you know, I'm going through a process of um, a remortgage on one of my commercials and they've yeah. got a very good system where I get a notification when either the solicitors have agreed something or, or, yeah. or broker has put something in. And I'm, it's just a two-minute check on the online portal. Great, but I feel more empowered. I feel you hit the nail on the head. I trust them more. Mm. I trust them that I'm getting communicated with. I think, you know, if I were to take it back to, say, retailing, for example, we have an analogy of this notion of queuing consumers don't like the idea of queuing but mm. is it the idea that they don't like to queue or is it the uncertainty of not knowing when the queue is going to end and yeah. really it's uncertainty it's the uncertainty of not knowing because as soon as you give a consumer uber and they know when their uber is coming it doesn't feel uncertain anymore right, yeah. and this is this is a shift that you know i'm trying i'm going to speak about when i come to uh, the conversation next week but how can you empower them with more information to make them feel like they've got some control over this? And it's just telling them about timeframes. Like, you know, we're looking to do this. The estimated timeframe is this and this estimated timeframe. And you say, you know, I can't guarantee that, but we're looking to do it within this timeframe. And you're just giving them certainty. You're giving them visibility, visibility yeah. of the process, a blueprint. We're going through this stage. Now we're going to go through that stage. And you're just telling them things like, you'd probably have to tell every single consumer who's new to buying or selling what the process is. If you had an online portal which showed them, right, you're in stage one, you're in stage two, you're in stage three, <clears throat> how much of that anxiety would you reduce? How much trust would you build? And how much of that process would they feel like they're in control of? And it's little things like that that make huge differences. I like that. Um, in terms of uh, you know, the retail, what are we likely to see um, in the retail space? We're seeing loads of change in the retail space. We're seeing consumers as activists. You've seen a lot of shifts towards sustainable consumption. And sustainable consumption is coming through need rather than want. We're seeing a lot of 
the cost of living crisis influencing consumers economically got less disposable income so they're really reshifting how they spend their money and we've seen that massively with black friday consumers yeah. really reined in their spend but they've also been lots of research to say that black friday sales are not the cheapest time to buy anyway really? and again consumers are empowered you've got price trackers now on google on apps etc you can check when that price was what price it was weeks ago and you go well it's not really a deal right now so we've got more information there. We're also seeing pure play retailers come into the physical space, the likes of Gymshark, the likes of other sort of streaming organizations that were online. We're seeing them come into our physical sort of spaces. And we're seeing, you know, retailers go from the physical to the digital. And we're seeing that sort of changing and shifting and evolving. So we can see a lot of changes started to manifest within the consumer, within the formats. Digital and physical have merged to you know create omni-channeling where consumers just shop it's not about the physical and digital anymore we're also seeing the power of communities though whether that's a brand community like we've already discussed or whether that's a local community in the sense of a shopping community or a local trader or retailer communities are really 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 important and they're just going to grow in importance but there are you know key things that have really shifted in um, spaces yeah What, what do you think the future of the high street is I think the future of the high street is really flourishing because I think that the consumer has gone back to local as a result of the pandemic. Really? Yeah, because remember what I mentioned about the pandemic yeah. actually made consumers spend more time in their environments. The local towns and the local high streets have meant more, but it's also about communities in the sense that customers are now thinking about I live in this space, I want to invest in this space and I want to feel like the people who are around me are also invested in the space. So they're taking ownership of the local park. For example, in my area, we have a community who have set up a whole tea room and tea house where we got funding from from a funder and then lots of residents put money, physical money into this tea house, which turns into a, a play 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 center, turns into a party look venue and it sits right on the park, right on the park. See my kids playing, there's a tea house there and I can sit and enjoy a cup of tea. That's for the community, from the community yeah. with the community. And that's an important message that's coming in. And we also, the community owns a town hall. We also bidded for that We with the council. You're seeing um, that consumers are more connected to the spaces that they live. And we think about what we, how we can make this development work for us as the people who live here. So I think that the future of the high street is quite good because the high street is part of a community and yeah. that's they're multifunctional. They're not just about shops anymore. Mm. It's about having resources that serve the community. So back in my shopping center, we have um, a couple of schools around here during the summer. We have a swap shop where it's just a couple of rails in the middle of the, the shopping mall. You put your old uniforms on and you can take new uniforms that fit, you, fit your child. No obligation, no pay, no nothing. Mm. Put them on, take them off. And we're seeing a lot of community initiatives come out of that, whether that's like, you know, growing produce. There's a lot of things to get people more engaged with what their what their communities are about. I absolutely agree that we've got um we live in a tiny little village, there's about three or four little villages, none more. I think the most any houses is like 250, 300 houses, so they're very small. And the little village next to us has got a huge bus stop. Um, and it's far bigger than it's from back in the day when they, you know buses was the, the main thoroughfare, the main mode of transport. And they've turned it into a mobile library. So you go in, I mean, you go past it and it's literally probably about five, six hundred books. 
And then you've got the Facebook community. And when they said, look, we need more uh, books on gardening. Has anybody got any? And it's just books. I mean, they get really, really arsy if you if you leave a jigsaw or kids' toys. It's it's very much run in a in a military fashion. But mm. it's, it's, you know, we need autobiographies. Has anybody got any from the 70s or the 80s? Or have you got a, a, a you know, a Parkinson or an Ian Botham biography? So I, I absolutely agree with that. It, the community is what's keeping businesses afloat. And I think those... Mm retail estate agency whatever it is those businesses that can um interact and adapt within the, and integrate within the community are going to be the, the the first part of call for any sort of business yeah i absolutely agree with that because who's got the more authentic experience and who's got the mm. more knowledgeable experiences and consumers are more connected with people who are part of their community mm. like you might have a, a chain you know estate agent that comes into your area how connected are you to that chain and that brand and how how much would you associate you know there's various different you know estate agents how much trust would they have naturally with that estate agent knowing that they're part of a bigger chain who just wants to sell a house where these people are a bit more invested of, of course they both want to sell houses but it's a way you sell the house as well yeah. in, in my experience it's only anecdotal and i absolutely agree with that is that the local independence in what you would class as like villages and towns or large towns, they always do better than, in my experience, than the big corporates because there's that community element. Where the big corporates do well is in the larger town, with the big, big cities where there's smaller community. There isn't a community. So they've got mm -hmm. this, that um, differentiator between the independent and the corporate seems to have gone. So then it is just people buying on price or people saying, well, I don't know the independent, but I also don't know the corporate. So I'll just go with who I feel trustworthy, and it's the corporate that's been there 150 years. It's funny you say that, John, because we, when we were purchasing our first house, we went to the Brigfords and we went to the large chains, and the service was nowhere near as good as our local independent. We bought a house from um, Trading Places just around the corner, has three or four branches within South Manchester, and the personalisation was of service was unrivaled. Really? The way that they were treated, the whole customer experience, the honesty, truth, and th just the way they connected with you. You weren't just one person out of 100 people that wanted to buy this house. You were a person who was important and you had needs and that house mattered a lot to you. And it was completely reflected through the, the service process because as estate agents, you can't affect the pro product itself. You're, mm. you're not in ownership of the product in any way that you can influence or change that product. What you change is the service and how the consumer on both sides of your interaction, whether that's the buyer or the seller, sees your service. And that's your unique selling point. And if mm. you don't get that down to a T, it doesn't matter what houses you're selling because they won't sell because people buy from people. Yeah. And I guess, you know, in some ways you can't have a house maybe that one of the large chains might have. And that might be why a consumer goes there. What I would argue is that word of mouth is such a powerful thing. You want your consumers to be advocates of your brands because people will want to sell their house with you mm -hmm. once they have bought a house with you. I know that I'd want Gareth, who who, who I purchased this house through, to sell my house because yeah. he's brilliant. Do you see You're what not I mean? anywhere else, are you? You're good, yeah. Just going to Gareth, yeah, because I know how good he is. And that's a personalization of service. And every estate agent, in my opinion, should build relationships. It's not about building sales. It's about building relationships because the relationships speak. I've been in my house 12 years. I still remember Gareth by his name. I still remember my interactions with him. It's yeah. a memorable experience for me because it was the most ex expensive 
asset that I was ever going to buy in my life and the most important asset I was going to buy in my life. So there's so many messages there for, you know, estate agents and what they want to do in the future because the home for a consumer, it fits a physiological need. If you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we have different needs. It is the most fundamental basic need that anybody has the need for shelter. And that's why it's so important to the consumer. And when something that's that important to somebody, that should be reflected in the way that you treat them in the service. Yeah, no, good, great points, great tips there. Um, so we're going into a recession. It's a little bit doom and gloom. What is the future of, of retailing as we as we head into um, a pretty bad recession? The future of retailing is going to be tough for the next two years. It's, there is absolutely not a shadow of doubt about it. Consumers have got less money. Yeah. We're seeing interest rates just spike, and we don't know where they're going to stop. So it's really... It's a really troubling time for consumers at the moment. You know, we're hitting in, going into Christmas and the spend's already coming back. This is supposed to be the golden quarter of spending. Mm-hmm. And consumers don't really want to part with their cash. They're thinking about budgeting, etc. And we know that it's going to be a really tough time. But in the same, you know, token, in the housing market, it's going to slow down. We've seen a huge shift for purchasing buying and selling in the housing market you know it sort of like stopped a little bit during covid but then we got the stamp duty boost and we got various different boosts but the interest rates is one of the most worrying thing for any buyer because your house is all of a sudden more expensive you know you're not just paying the say for example two hundred fifty thousand pounds that you exchange on it's the interest rate that really determines the overall price of your property so consumers are massively grappling with that and that's going to impact them quite significantly there's always winners and losers from the housing market. You've always got that postcode that's aspirational because consumers yeah. do things for status. If you think about Altrincham and Cheshire, for example, where, you know, for example, people aspire to live because of the people who live there, those areas won't be affected as much because you always want to go into those areas. It's the other areas that are not as aspirational, have maybe need regentrifying and need more investment from their local communities, from their local governments that are going to struggle to get the same sort of interest from mm-hmm. um from sales, etc. and buyers. But generally I expect to see a little bit of a slowdown, not permanently for um housing, because that never happens. Yeah. But a bit of a slowdown, the market sort of stabilizing in price a little bit as the prices start to cool down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always going to be like places where people need to live. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yeah. And we're not building enough properties, you know, it depends on what report you, you you read but you know it could be up to a couple hundred thousand houses a year and getting get increasing um the amount of houses that we, we need to be building amna it's been absolutely brilliant i've thoroughly enjoyed our our talk and there's so many takeaways on that i think our uh the people watching this and listening are going to be scribbling down notes forever and a day but i just want to say thank you so much we're going to put all your social media if people want to get in touch with you um in the description but just want to say thank you so much for coming on leadership revealed Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure.